All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer World Cup podcast. Raf Giallo here, and tonight I'm joined by RT Sport Online editor Mikey Stafford and also former UCD Sheffield Wednesday and Shamrock Rovers midfielder Paul Corey. The template is fairly consistent at this stage. Uh, we are watching a couple of games live, unlike uh, the previous parts of the World Cup where we've had one game at a time. We're at that stage of the tournament where there are simultaneous games. So England leading Wales 2-0, 57 minutes gone in that. And then between USA and Iran, 55 minutes gone, USA leading 1-0. And uh, when uh, before we hit record or before, uh, you know, before the second half started, I kind of had a few lines in my head, Paul, about like how I was going to lead and frame this thing. And then England went and destroyed it. Obviously, Liam Brady at halftime referred to England's first half performance as diabolical, a term only ever used within the context of football. And they've gone and destroyed that narrative now. Yeah, they I guess they hit the narrative on the head there at half time with regards to how poor the first half was. They were really like, kind of labored and lethargic in their build-up play. I think Liam said that it, it seemed like the weight of the world was on their shoulders and it certainly seemed that way, but they came out in the second half and to be fair to them, they played with a bit more freedom. Uh, the first goal was, was a superb strike from Marcus Rashford. I would question the goalkeeping to be honest with you, Raph. I'm not sure if you've seen it back, but Danny Ward takes a step in behind his wall and, and leaves Rashford with a massive space to hit. It was a superb strike and he took it very well, but, the goalkeeping was was very questionable. And similar to the Iran game, once they got their first goal, you could kind of see the, the confidence within the team kind of build and you could see kind of the uh, the energy in their play. And that's how the second goal came about. It was superb pressing from Marcus Rashford to win the ball back. And Harry Kane, who's probably got a bit of a hard time over the over the first two games, I thought he was decent against Iran. Um, none of them really kind of showed up for the USA game, but a really lovely ball across the six-yard box. And, and Phil Foden, who was obviously kind of been in the headlines for the last couple of days because he hasn't been playing, was on the end of it in a really good position to, to took it away. So a good result, probably the bounce back that they were expecting off the back of the USA game. But to be honest with you, Ralph, Wales are, are offering very little. I've been very disappointed with their performances over the, over the course of the three games. Yeah, and Mikey, I think there's a bit of a changing of a guard feel with Wales because uh, there was the advent of Gareth Bale uh, going off there for Brennan Johnson at half time, And I think there was a question, there is really that question, is that the last time we'll have seen, have seen Bale in a, in a Welsh jersey? Uh, he was pretty blunt about it in his press conference yesterday. He said definitely, well, he said no. Uh, he said it out straight. Um, he's probably, he might be getting a bit tired and old. God bless him, he's not that old, but he's a lot of, lot of miles in those legs but um you'd wonder if he stays in the mls will he be traipsing back for nations leagues games for wales and such he seems terribly committed to wales but maybe maybe we're all judging him very harshly because to be honest he's not fit he's played what one match for uh fcla so uh, he he hasn't come into it fit but wales have to take an unfit gareth bale they have to take an unfit joe allen and these guys are getting old and you say changing of the guard um they have some promising young players, but you're not replacing Aaron Ramsey, Gareth Bale and Joe Allen very easily. Best will in the world to the, to the next generation of Welsh players coming through. And in a lot of ways for a country similar size to Ireland, we could be quite envious of some of the players they have and the level they're playing at. But they're not at the level of a peak Bale, Ramsey and Joe Allen. So, yeah, but Wales fans can can they can take some, you know, they can take some heart from a couple of, you know, you know, six wonderful years or there, thereabouts with this team. But to go out of your first World Cup in 60 odd years to your nearest neighbours, eh, that, that's that got to sting a little bit, I guess. 
Yeah, it's their, it's, and it's I think the meek nature of their exit. You would have thought they'd uh, they put in more of a you know a, yeah, a not, performance. I can only handle watching one match at a time. I, you know, I, I, I forget how to tie my shoelaces if I try to watch two. So I'm all about the geopolitics. I'm watching the USA and Iran. So I'll take your word for for the Welsh being meek. Yeah, uh, in terms of that US game, I I I can I'm doing the two screen thing here. So uh, I did see the goal. It was well constructed from the United States. A ball out from Weston McKenney out to uh, to Serginio Dest and then straight to Christian Pulisic, who got a fair wallop uh, by, from the goalkeeper there, Mikey, and uh, he hasn't emerged for the second half. No, Aronson's on for the second half. You say he got a farewell from the goalkeeper. Have some pity for the goalkeeper, Baron Van. He's only back in after having his face broken up in the first game. Um, so they obviously rushed him back into the team because we all saw from Carlos Quirosh's reaction against England when he put his put his uh, face in his hands having to bring on the third choice keeper that he was going to always bring back in Baron Van as soon as he could. He came back in and he did nothing wrong and neither did Pulisic. It was a wonderful ball, a cross ball by uh, um, McKenney. And uh, headed first time by Des back across the goal. Pulisic arriving like a train, got the ball with kind of his um, kind of his leg rather than his foot, and uh, but his momentum just clattered him into the goalkeeper. And it kind of looked kind of innocuous. It was all kind of limbs, but um, I thought it was his head at first. But it seems to have been his leg. He was just he limped through the rest of the first half, but he hasn't come back out. But in fairness, Aronson not a bad replacement. No, no, he's had a good season at Leeds uh, since he signed for them. So that looks like, in terms of Group B, now it's still ongoing, of course, about an hour gone in both games. England going to be topping that group, and the United States, as uh, as it stands, going to be second. Um, and who they're going to meet, obviously, in uh, from the Group A teams in the last 16. Table toppers are Netherlands, and then Senegal beat Ecuador 2-1 in quite a tense game there, Paul, earlier, and Senegal taking second in that group. Yeah, it was it was probably a bit of a surprise. At least I I thought it was. Uh, I thought Ecuador had done particularly well in in their first two games, and I, I thought they were bringing kind of nice form into that game. Like they they really missed. Uh, is it M- Mendez in the middle of the pitch who's been playing alongside Saicedo? He's he was out after picking up two bookings in in the first two games, and I think that really kind of dented the structure in the middle of the pitch and how they've controlled games um, against Qatar and against the Dutch. So it was a bit of a surprise. I, I thought once they they got themselves back into the game with the Saicedo goal, I thought from there they might be able to manage it, but it was literally only two, three minutes later, uh, a free kick ball into the box. Ener Valencia, if you, if you watch it back, Raf, is the one who's left free to, to go and attack the ball. And he's just made a really poor connection with it. And it's popped up really nicely to Koulibaly, who put it away. And to be fair to Senegal, from there, they managed the game really well. I, I can't think of too many chances that Ecuador had in, in that final 20 minutes to really put them under too much pressure. And that that was a surprise result for me, because I thought if you looked at kind of the, the first two games, and those games against Qatar and against the Netherlands, I thought Ecuador showed a bit more in their play and, and particularly with Ana Valencia. Not sure if he was fully fit today, but if the form that he had brought over from the first two games, I thought somebody like that could maybe get them over the line. But for Senegal and for a lot of the African teams, they've, they've surprised probably a lot of people with, with how well they're doing and how structured they are in their play. And I believe it's the first time that they've gotten out of the group. So an absolutely superb achievement um, from Senegal to get out of the group. And... Who knows? Like England, England have kind of huffed and puffed against the USA after they would do that. Senegal, full of confidence, they might be able to put something up to them. But you would imagine looking at at, at the games that they've played, that you know, getting out of the group is probably as far as they're going to be able to take it. 
Yeah, without Sadio Mane, certainly. Now, they, they were in the quarterfinals in 2002, so if they can beat England and cause a few eruptions, they might uh, they might be able to repeat that. And who knows, could they could they go further? <laughs> could they go further as well? But uh, just, uh, just talk to me about the psychology of it, actually, in terms of Ecuador, because they were in the prime position going into this game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've never really played... Uh, football at any level um, I don't really have the ability for it nor the fortitude or the mental fortitude for it but um, you know in regards to uh, you know when you know a draw is enough how do you deal with that and could you see that in Ecuador's play maybe that they were a little bit tentative because Senegal got at them very early I thought so I, I really did I thought they were they were almost playing within themselves and trying to protect what they had, knowing that a draw was was going to be enough to, to see them through. Whereas if you look at the performance, I thought Senegal were much more probably um, po- more positive in their play and progressive with actually going about to try win the game. And that probably doesn't suit Ecuador. Like if you looked at kind of the, the first two games, they're very expansive. They're very explosive. They're very powerful, particularly in the final third. And they go about hurting teams. It's probably not within their nature to to kind of sit back and, and try to preserve and protect what you have. But it, it, it's human nature, isn't it? It's psychology. Uh, if you have something that you, you feel like you want to protect, maybe you do play within yourself and you just try to maybe do the basics a bit more. Maybe that hurt them. Maybe maybe that's what's kind of um, been their Achilles heel in this fixture is that they haven't probably stuck to, to what has gotten to this stage and has been so helpful with regards to getting results against the Dutch and against Qatar. So it's funny. There's, there's a number of situations like that, Raf. Uh, within the other groups that I'm sure you will see play out in a similar sort of way. But to be fair to Senegal, they were positive in their play. They got about the Ecuadorians and, and they took their chances when they presented themselves. But it's it's happening in the Iran USA game as well. Iran were in a situation where a draw would do them and they now you wouldn't say they've been quite as kind of uh, on the front foot as Ecuador were in, in their games but at the same time they, they did kind of invite the US onto them after a bright enough start they kind of invited the US onto them and then it seems to me that once that happens and once you go behind you know it's it's kind of it's almost hard to kind of um, change gears again or maybe to change the mindset and with Ecuador who were definitely struggling to score goals coming into the tournament yeah, there's a and goal. With, yeah, there's a goal now for uh, another goal for Marcus Rashford there, Paul. I'm not sure if your if, if our clocks are uh, identical at the moment, but uh, he's just gone down the right wing, put inside, and then fired a shot which just went through Danny Ward. Yeah, based based on your reactions, I'm not sure if they're slow, Raf, but I think I might be slightly ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean Marcus Rashford. Now, what's that? That's three goals that he's picked up. Over the course of two games, I know the one against Iran, it was it was maybe somewhat dead and buried, but he's taken that one well. And he's probably given Southgate, you know, or he's at least put the question in his in his mind there that he might have to play him. Like he's he's probably a little different to to Foden. Foden's maybe a bit more structured in his play, and he he probably prefers to combine with players. Rashford is much more off the cuff. And with those type of players, when they hit a, a bit of form, they can be really hot. And uh He's been good. He's been good in the second half. He was poor, to be honest with you, in the first. He got himself into a really good position um, to take a chance, and he, I thought he should have finished it. But, I mean, he's getting himself into dangerous up there, uh, dangerous areas, dangerous positions, scoring goals. You talk about psychology of Senegal. I mean, I'm sure he feels a million dollars at the moment. It might be worth just throwing him in and, and just letting him play. If he's, yeah. hitting the broad, if he's hitting the broadside of a barn with a banjo, you start Marcus Rashford, because there's nothing wrong with anything he does, except sometimes he seems to go through phases where... He just can't finish. He can't. He can't score. So if he's, as you say, Paul, if he's on a hot streak, I'd be, I'd be playing him because 
Mark Rashford on a hot streak is a yeah, very, very tidy attacker to have. Very streaky, isn't he? Like he, he goes on these streaks where like he'll hit this amazing run of form, and you go, "God, that's the player that we that we thought he was." And then he'll go missing for another six months, and you start to really question him. But he, he seems to be he seems to have hit the ground running in this competition anyway. I mean, you can question, you could absolutely question Wales and Iran in that first game were, were pretty poor as well. But he's taken his chance when they've come. Yeah, and obviously, and also, Paul, I think uh, in regards to Rashford and Foden there, who obviously both got on the score sheet, it's just interesting that they've they've tried once they swapped wings. We know Foden tends to play off the left a lot more with City, which seems to have helped here. But Rashford generally often plays in the same position for United. I could understand Foden starting off on the right simply because Kyle Walker was behind him. And I'm sure Gareth Southgate wanted to maybe keep that combination of of a fullback and, and a winger who who know each other and know each other's games and maybe know when to get around them and when just to give Phil Foden space to to go and link. But yeah, I, I would I would agree. I think Foden is probably stronger off the left. He's he's used to playing that position with Man City. If you look at the goal that he scored, he's arrived really well at the back post. And that is kind of where he picks up the majority of his goals in in a Man City jersey. It's going to be really interesting, Raf. You know, heading into the into the round of sixteen, maybe not against Senegal. Maybe he'll keep the the four three three, but I think as as they go deeper, he might go to a five four one. And what does that mean for the likes of Foden, for Rashford, for Mason Mount, for Saka? I don't really know. Like Jack Grealish can't get a look in at the moment. Uh, no. There's so much depth for their team. Like Callum Wilson's come on here, Trent's come on, Rashford's come on. No sign of Grealish. So uh, he, he's got a couple of questions. To be fair to Southgate, like he he tends to pick his team and pick his shape depending on the the opposition that they're playing. I would imagine 4-3-3 should be enough against Senegal, but then as you get deeper into the competition, I think naturally enough, his style as a manager should be a bit more conservative and he'll revert back to that, that, that kind of five at the back. Yeah, I just wonder, can Trent Alexander-Arnold, based on all what has been said in the media over the last while, can he be trusted uh, in a in a World Cup game while they're treating it up against Wales and uh, not much <laughs> not much riding on it? Anyway, he, he's dealt he's dealt with one defend or one pass that was supposed to be uh, well treaded through past him there, so he seems to be okay at this level. But uh, in regards to uh, Koulibaly and Mendy, two players, uh, Paul, who I know you watch very closely at Chelsea. In the opening game, they both seemed a little bit shaky. And then against Qatar, uh, Mendy made a string of really good saves. And it seems to be in this game where everything was on the line against Ecuador that both of those stood up to be tested, especially they're the two leaders now in the ta- in the Senegal team without Mane. Yeah, and you would you would expect it, to be honest, which I, I think particularly when they're playing at that level against an Ecuador side, you would expect particularly Koulibaly to be quite commanding in that area, both in his own penalty area and then on the opposition. To be fair to him, he took his, he took his goal really well. Um, I know it popped up, it was very favourable, but he still had to put it away and he, and he did that quite well. Mendy, I'm still not too, too sure about the, the save against Qatar was good. I still think that there's probably a bit of a dip in confidence with Mendy and Ever since, if you if you recall back, Chelsea against Real Madrid when he coughed up the ball and, and Benzema went and scored, I don't think he's been the same goalkeeper since. And that was probably shown in, in the game against Holland. He, he was badly at fault for probably both the goals. So it's a, it's a difficult with Senegal. Like They haven't kept a clean sheet yet. And you would feel that maybe there's not enough goals within that team to, to really trouble England. But you never know. It might click. If 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 they had a Sadio Mane, you'd probably be looking at it, Rafa, and saying, okay, there's an opportunity because they've got real world-class player at the top end of the pitch. But if you look at kind of their first three games, you wouldn't say that 
there's a huge amount of fluidity. Like Sar has done well, to be fair, to Bia <laughs> and Dai at the top end of the pitch. They probably don't pose the same threat as, as some of the other teams who will find themselves in the round 16. So for England, it's a good route. You would expect them to go through, but there are certainly players that if, if they were to click on the day, Senegal could potentially cause them problems. Yeah, and speaking of Holland, uh, they or Netherlands as I think the the country's leadership prepared to be called. They uh, they beat Qatar two 0 and on the Qatar side, Mikey, I mean, they're already now and now officially the worst host nation in terms of what's happened on the pitch that we've ever seen. Uh, South Africa held that uh, ignominious record previously, having done okay actually in their home World Cup in twenty ten, getting four points and at least getting a win uh, over France in that tournament. But uh, Qatar zero points, one goal scored, and uh, their goal difference isn't much to shout about. No, the the cost of that goal is about a cool two hundred and twenty billion dollars thus far. Um, I guess this is going to happen. You know, FIFA are determined, and you could say rightly. In theory, not saying in this instance, but the theory of like bringing the World Cup to places where it hasn't been before, that's right and proper. I agree with what Richie Sadler said earlier. I don't agree with the World Cup expanding to 48 teams. I think that's nonsense. But bringing the World Cup to places where it hasn't been before, if they're fit to host it, is fine. That's going to happen. You know, for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, the World Cup just hopped across the Atlantic and back every four years to a European to South America, Europe, South America, and those countries tended to do well because they were the, you know, kind of the heavyweights of world football. So as the World Cup goes to new lands, uh, you know, kind of to more Asian and African countries until the standard in those countries comes up, this is going to happen. But to score one goal and to be out after two matches, like, if you if you're to if you're to believe what you read and, and you hear, you know, that maybe some people in the Qatari royal family are already slightly regretting this whole idea that it hasn't quite worked out the way they wanted it to. The light being shone on the country wasn't the light they thought it was going to be shone on. For the team to not kind of give them any joy on the pitch then um, is a shame. I didn't watch this game, but I'm presuming that the ultras behind the goal were still giving it socks. I don't know if any either of you read the good inter- uh, good piece in the New York Times yesterday um, and it was detailing where those fans came from. They were shipped in uh, mainly from Lebanon, and from Turkey and from North Africa, they're they're like professional ultras. Basically, they were given tickets to go to Qatar and to tickets to matches, accommodation and a small bit of cash to turn up in their maroon T-shirts. And they had they, they had training weekends and everything where they perfected their chance. So if nothing else, the Qatari ultras will be remembered probably for longer than the footballers they were cheering on, unfortunately. Yeah, where was that job advertised? <laughs> <laughs> they went. They did kind of auditions. They went over to Lebanon and said, "Okay, bring bring your best ultras to like to this stadium, and we'll see what you're like." And supposedly the Lebanese ultras were not impressed because they brought a um, uh, like a chief ultra. Like they they actually have like kind of you know you know how the Italians are. It's all kind of sing in response, and so they actually have like a leader. And they brought in a leader from one of the Istanbul clubs and the Lebanese ultras were not impressed. They're like, we don't need some Turkish guy telling us how to do this. We can do this ourselves. It's very interesting. Um, so it was very, very, it was planned for a long time, those maroon men and women behind the goal chanting. Yeah, uh, it didn't quite work out so well for them on the pitch, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think well. the lads behind the goal were too bothered, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, uh, in regards to Dutch, I watched a good bit of this game, Paul, but... Uh, 
as much as Louis van Gaal has been talking about the need for the team, you know, for more respect for the team and that he does, well, he is kind of uh, endorsing the message that they are potential champions based on the performances in Group A, maybe quarterfinals at best looks like uh, the route that they're going to take. Yeah, I, I think the USA will give them a really good game. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they were to to run them very close or even knock them out. For the Dutch, it's I mean, it's been all about Cody Gakpo, hasn't it? With, with the goals that he scored, he's he's shown, I guess, why he's been tipped to join a Premier League club. But if you look at all three goals, he's taken them really well. Probably a, a little bit of something different in each one of them. The way he's taken them, one was with the head, one with the left, and one with the right. And his ability to join in with play and, and kind of latch onto balls and, and and put things away is is a very difficult thing to find, particularly within a midfielder. And if if you look at the Dutch, I think I might have said it earlier on in, in one of the podcasts, Raph, they're going to rely on, on that because if you look at kind of the options that they have further up the pitch, the pie looks half cut coming into it. They've Klaas and Bergwijn on the bench, not really kind of standout strikers or number nines who are going to go and get your goal. So it's absolutely going to have to come from the likes of Frankie de Jong and Cody Gakpo or potentially a set piece to, to open teams up. The one positive that I, I, I will say about the Dutch is they've kept two clean sheets and they've only conceded one goal. And as you get into kind of knockout football, that does give you a good opportunity. Like when you've got a, you know, Timber, Van Dijk and Ake, they obviously have to licked on the bench as well. They've got four really strong center halves that can fit those three positions that they like to play. Blin tends to play quite narrow and, and give an, an extra layer of protection as well. So they are very, very difficult to break down. And if you can just have moments or even a set piece, that can then open a team up and if they get themselves out in front, you would probably back them to go on and, and protect what they have because they've got great experience in those positions and have shown that in, in the opening three games that they're not an easy team to break down or an easy team to get at. So they've they've not really impressed me, um, particularly in the final third. I, I just don't see them having the strength and depth that some of the the better teams do, particularly the likes of, of France, of Spain or Brazil. They're, they're nowhere near that level. But the draw is, is another one where USA, I'm sure they're looking at it and will fancy themselves. But if USA can produce the performance that they did against England, where they, you know, full of energy, very aggressive in their press, very aggressive how they got about England and how they got about Wales, they could definitely, I could I could easily see that one being an upset. Um, and a lot was spoke about the Dutch, mainly that coming from Louis van Gaal, but I haven't seen it to date. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the lack of depth and I think Vincent Janssen, who I think some Tottenham supporters might remember from a certain time and who's now at uh, Antwerp. Uh, it's probably the example of a lack of depth when you think about 20 odd years ago and <laughs> they, they, you know, they were spoiled for choice with strikers. You had Clivert, Burkamp, Roy Mackay, uh, Pierre Van Hoydong, Hasselbank, uh, Van Nistelrooy, all sort of in and around uh, at the same time. And then you look at it now and, you know, the options in terms of pure centre forwards are very much tin on the ground. But um, what you said about the United States, obviously, they're, that's probably going to be their biggest test because what we've seen of them in the Nations League in regards to the, the form they'd had, they seem to be more suited to playing teams that want to come at them and mm. to, to play on the break, especially with the type of individuals uh, where the strength is towards the back as opposed to the front. So do you feel, um, just in terms of what you've said uh, prior uh, prior to this, that 
if they were to get through to the quarterfinals, get past the United States, that uh, as it stands, obviously the, that could change against. Yeah, Iran, I was about but... to say you're being you're 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 giving <laughs> the USA. You know they've got about probably twelve minutes in injury time, which is now set at six minutes. That's six minutes for every game. Eighteen minutes left here. Iran don't look like scoring yet, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't write them off just yet either. Still only one nil. Yeah, but but in regards whether it's Iran or the United States who are more likely to try and you know set up shop to to stop them, that perhaps once they get to if if and if and when they do get to a quarterfinal that uh that might actually suit them more because they tend to play on the break yeah potentially i mean a, a lot of their forward play is, is reliant on the likes of the pie and gakpo and and having that i guess um you know that explosive pace in the final third you, you know jansen i think i'd give jansen a good race raf with, with about one good knee and he, he just he doesn't do it for me he was slow about four years ago and he looks as if he got it slower again Veghorst as well if you remember from Burnley you know he was involved in that relegation dog yeah. kind of another option that they've used off the bench so they don't really have that strength and depth and to be fair to Memphis Depay he's had very little football coming into this competition so it's a lot to ask from him to to kind of step it up and that that would be a, a concern that I would have that they have probably been a bit too reliant on himself and and the likes of Gakpo to to cough cough up goals and you know if Gakpo happens to dry up or, or the chances don't seem to present to present themselves where are the goals going to come from um you know USA is absolutely a sterner chest or Iran as Mikey rightly points out but when they take it up to an, at the next level I think that's that's where they'll fall short I think that's maybe where you'll start to see the frailties within the team like even the likes of, of Daily Klassen, who was at Everson, uh, don't get me wrong, he's, he's done well at Ajax, but he's not really at that elite level that you would see with, with the likes of some of the, the top five or six teams within this competition. So they've done well. They, they've probably done well in Nations League campaigns where maybe you wouldn't have expected them to, and they maybe play as a bit more of a unit than other sides. But I, I would be very surprised to see them go beyond a, a quarterfinal. Yeah, and these two games at the moment are into the final 10 minutes plus stoppage time. I think the England game seems to be uh, about three minutes ahead of, I think, well, obviously with the, the stoppage uh, when Pulisic got injured there, there was a slight delay. I think the, the USA yeah. game kicked off like a minute or two later as well for some reason. You can It's yeah. hard to tell when you watch one on TV and one on a stream, but it's... Yeah. Um, as those two games play out, obviously there are matches to look forward to tomorrow. A couple of uh, couple of intriguing ones. So uh, they're all going to be on the RT player, uh, but Tunisia and France is going to be on the RT news channel. That's three o'clock, and then same time Australia against Denmark, which is going to be on RT two. And then the seven o'clock games: Argentina against Poland, RT two; Saudi Arabia against Mexico on the RT news channel. Starting with Tunisia and France, Paul. I mean, France are true to the last 16. Tunisia have to win to stay in the competition. And we do expect, I think we are expecting changes. The only thing is, it looks like Mbappe, who's chasing the golden boot, there is an open possibility that he's uh, he's going to feature in this. I think he'll absolutely play. I, I think he'd be mad not to play him either because you can imagine the, <laughs> the mess you're going to have to deal with there or the tantrums that you're going to have to deal with if Mbappe doesn't play because he'll absolutely be looking at this game thinking, bag a hat-trick here on six goals. And I would imagine if you look back historically at competitions, I'd say six is probably in and around what has won many players, the golden boot. And he will absolutely be all over those individual uh, rewards, but they've so much strength and depth that even if they were to, to change 10 of the 11, you would ex still expect that France will have way too much for Tunisia. Just looking down through the team, like say Camavinga, Kingsley Coman, 
Konate, uh, Pavard, Saliba, Taram, you know, really top players within European football. So they should have, they should have way too much. I, I, I've really enjoyed watching them. I like seeing that they're the type of team that will just go at you. Um, particularly against Denmark, like Denmark are a strong side, but they were just really positive in their play about how they went about. And I would fully expect to see more of that against Tunisia. And they will absolutely have have too much uh, for them tomorrow. I'd be surprised if if we saw something else. Tunisia were really poor in the final third against um, Australia. And, you know, if you're conceding goals against Australia, you would imagine if the French are going to have too much to, to unlock that defence. But that's another group, you know, when you look at it, we were talking about the psychology of it. Australia go in tomorrow knowing that they only need a point to qualify. That could play against them and you could easily see the Danes, uh, you know, springboarding them or, or France were to drop points against Tunisia. Tunisia taking that, that second spot. But for the French, you know, the hard work, the heavy lifting is done now. Rest up your maybe kind of older players, the likes of a Varane who might need a, a three-day rest into their legs and, and hopefully then that they will be fresher come the, the round of 16 and ready to kind of to take on the, the next kind of step within the competition. But I, I would expect that France will be one of those teams that would make it to at least the semi-finals. Yeah, the one motivation for Tunisia, of course, other than the fact in, with the psychology of it, it being a must win, Mikey, obviously, is the, the connection between the French and Tunisia historically. Uh, ten of their team also uh, born in France and mm-hmm. some of them having been youth international. So there's a apart from the obvious of trying to get through, there's a sort of point to prove. Yeah, there, there is. And there's there's kind of ill feeling there, which obviously goes back a few <laughs> few hundred years to begin with. But just in more recent times, I think there was a friendly between France and Tunisia um, in the last 10, 15 years. And there was a lot of Tunisian fans in the Stade de France and they booed the Marseillais, which obviously was caused consternation in France. And they actually some politicians said, if, you, if you're going to boo our national anthem, matches will be called off. Like they they take that incredibly seriously so there, there is that i just i look at that group and france are obviously defending champions and they've broken the curse if they're, they're going to get out of the group the first champions do so since what 2006 and um but you look at that group and australia denmark tunisia they all have something in common they've all got negative goal difference like france are plus four denmark are minus two and i'm uh, sorry australia are minus two and denmark and tunisia are minus one none of the three of them seem to be able to score a goal um Tunisia have a marvellous defence. They've only conceded goals in two of their last 11 games, I think. Uh, Denmark are pretty solid defensively and Australia are kind of built that way as well. The three of them struggle to score. So yeah, France, at the very worst, France are going to get a nil-nil draw, even if they <laughs> if they change the entire team. But Australia, Denmark, uh, as Paul says, the, the psychology there, that's, that's really, really interesting because Australia probably built more to play for a nil-nil draw. And uh, you'd wonder about Denmark's ability to break them down. But Denmark, are, on paper, Denmark are a far superior team to Australia. But you would be worried if Australia tried to sit back too much there. Yeah, and they're a very combative team, Australia, just from what I saw them in that uh, first game against uh, France, particularly Jackson Irvine in the centre of the pitch. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't get a red card. He got a yellow card quite late in the game. I mean, there was a series of fouls and maybe the referee just didn't notice him or maybe thought it was somebody else. But um, in regards to Denmark, uh, Paul, I mean... There was, you know, I had them in my list of uh, dark horses based on what I'd seen at Euro 2020, but my list of it's dark horses... It's not been a good tournament for dark horses, <laughs> no, has no. it? <laughs> Every... You were a guy going to the knackers yeah. yard as well, but it looks of things. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that has been a disappointment. Apart from Senegal actually getting to the last 16, I think that's the only one that seems to be paying off for me. But Denmark, goals have been an issue for them. And uh, obviously, look, they had a tough game against France. 
they lost that one 2-1, but the opening game against Tunisia has really is really the thing that has left them in this fairly precarious position. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I think they probably would have taken going into the final fixture and just needing to beat Australia to get out of the group. I think what's been most disappointing about them, Raf, is, is that performance against Tunisia. I thought they looked a bit, a bit cagey and were very concerned about not losing the game as opposed to being on the front foot and, and taking the game to the Tunisians and going and win it. Now, they probably should have won it because how Cornelius didn't score that header from two or three yards, I'm not really too sure. He was more concerned about not hitting the post than he was putting it away. And that would have put them in a much more comfortable position heading into the fixture tomorrow. But I, I think they'll have too much. Like Tunisia or Australia were, were, were half decent against the Tunisians. They didn't really come out of their shape too much. They had that, that one moment of quality that popped up with the goal and Duke took his his chance very well, but they didn't really show too many signs that if you were Denmark, you'd be worried or, or troubled going into this fixture. So they should, the Danes should have too much, but a bit like the Dutch, a team who you, you were probably hoping to see a bit more of, even the results that they had in the Nations League were, were very promising coming into the competition. You mentioned the Euros and how strong they were in that competition as well. They've huffed and puffed for me. Uh, they haven't they haven't done a huge amount, and, and similar to the Dutch, have probably a, a bit of a a gap with regards to kind of a number nine. I know they've tried Cornelius, they've tried Damsgaard. It's not really happened for them in the final third. But if they get out of the group, they will prove a, a difficult challenge or a difficult test for for any of the teams. And I would fully expect that that would be the situation that we're faced with tomorrow. That France will go to, through top of the group, and Denmark will will take that second position. Yeah, and the team they are going to face is going to obviously come out of the Argentina, Poland, Mexico, Saudi Arabia game. So those uh, Poland against Argentina, seven o'clock, and then of course simultaneously Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Mexico at the same time. So um, obviously the the Polish manager Paul has been at pains to point out that tomorrow's match is not going to be a Messi versus Lewandowski affair. Obviously that means all the media are kind of focusing on that particular aspect of it, but more importantly for Argentina, it's a must win. They made hard work of uh, the Mexico game until Messi popped up with a magical goal. And you wouldn't think that Poland are going to be much easier, only that perhaps there's less pace in that Polish team. And uh, in terms of the the balance between those two teams, you would imagine, again, the psychology is in Argentina's favour because they know what they need to do. Yeah, Argentina were much better in the, in the second half against Mexico. There was a there was a moment in the second half where um, Romero came in and he had Martinez one side of him, Otamendi the other, and then to they went to a back five, and that seemed to just free up a bit more room for for some of the players. Enzo Fernandez came in as well, and they seemed to have a bit more balance to their side, and they seemed to be a bit more threatening going forward. and And don't be at all surprised if Argentina do set up that way tomorrow, because whatever happened, or if it's a new shape, or one that they've played previously before it seemed to click and it seemed to it seemed to suit the personnel that they have a lot more and they were able to get kind of people in in threatening positions higher up the pitch so if they were to kind of produce that level that we that we saw in the second half against Mexico particularly with Messi at the four I mean he absolutely stood up and, and took the responsibility and kind of uh you know put the responsibility on his back and, and got them over the line so if he clicks if Argentina show the form that they have coming into the competition, I would suspect that they'll have too much for Poland. Um, but the Poles, I'm sure, will set up like they did against Saudi Arabia, where they're kind of difficult to, to play against, difficult to break down and play off Lewandowski and, and hope that they can create something in the final third. So it's it's hard one, isn't it, to gauge with Argentina because they, they were maybe 
maybe they were called on the hop or maybe they would just had an off day, but they were really poor against Saudi Arabia. And I would expect that we will see more of the Argentina that we saw in the second half against Mexico. And I would expect that they would go on and, and you know, many of us were tipping them as, as pre-tournament favourites. You would hope that, at least I hope they get out of the group. I've, my fingers and toes crossed to see Messi at least get uh, into the knockout stages. But, you know, look at the players they have, look at the form that they have coming into the competition. Surely, in order to get out of the group, they, they'll be Poland. Yeah, and Poland, of course, know that a draw might be enough. Uh, again, they would they'd have to hope also that uh, Saudi Arabia um, don't beat Mexico, and also Mexico still have a still have an open shot at it. But uh, it's something that maybe is similar to the Dutch, but maybe is also similar to Argentina. They do, do you, does it feel like the Argentinians, Paul, are a bit more of a team that almost look like they're made for the knockouts? They just need to kind of uh, slug their way through. The, the group stages but that they're they're built for maybe one of those cagey knockout games where just one moment of magic uh, might make the difference well if they beat Poland tomorrow and let's take it that Denmark win or even if, if Australia draw you would surely expect that Argentina would would go through that game again and then you're heading into quarterfinals and you know it is a bit of a lottery from there and and much depends. I haven't even looked as far as beyond the round of 16 to see who they could potentially be matched up against. But from there on in, you know, they're they're tight, they're edgy. A lot of them are about clean sheets. And if they were to go with that five at the back, the three centre halves, I know Otamendi has a mistake in them, but if you get something like Romero and Lissandro Martinez either side, it maybe gives them a good, you know, foundation. If, if you look at what England have done in previous tournaments, being difficult to beat. And then when you've got Lorenzo Martinez, when you've got the likes of Julian Alvarez, and Lionel Messi in the final third. Di Maria looked a lot better in the last game as well, I thought. <coughs> they'll, they'll always have a chance. When you've, when you've got quality like that, and if it was to click over even a 20, 30-minute period, they have the quality and the potential to go and absolutely rip teams apart. Yeah, and they that you also then, Raph, when you get into knockout football, you're talking about, you know, the, every game's a cup final, and it's all about the emotion and... I think they spent an hour and a half in the dressing room after the Mexico game celebrating, which which seems excessive, which seems silly. I but I kind of witnessed uh, this kind of campaign for them in twenty fourteen at the, the World Cup in Brazil, and that was different because obviously a lot of Argentinians could travel across the border to Brazil and and wind up their neighbors. But I have never I've never witnessed a city taken over by a group of fans like Rio was in twenty fourteen. It was incredible. There was running battles with the police. My now wife had to hide from like there was a riot on the Copacabana and kind of had to like <laughs> run into a shop and hide. That's the fans, but the players feed off that too. And if they get going and it, like it does, it seems unhealthy that it's so built around kind of doing it for one guy and the power he wields in the team seems to be kind of understated. But like you never underestimate the power of a cause, and they do really seem to have a cause. But if they play like they did in the first half against Mexico, you can be as emotional as you like. You know, you're going to get taken apart by some of the better teams in the competition. Yeah, uh, England have beaten Wales 3-0 there, so that, that game is over. We got a lot of, six, a, six more minutes of injury yeah, time here. Yeah. I, yeah, I just noticed uh, in your game there, Mikey, there's just a huge amount of stoppage time given. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I've been half watching. I'm not altogether. It's been a bitty kind of a second half. I can't, I can't remember a, a decent shot on goal. Iran had a decent chance for about well not a decent chance but the guy took a decent shot from about 25 yards a curl just over the bar other than that it's hard to think of a chance Iran are we were into that kind of you know 
psychology now the USA are retreating slightly and Iran are having some of the ball but they 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 do look kind of they look slightly bereft of ideas in the final third to be honest yeah and as that one plays out of course uh Mexico are the type of team that Paul that seemed to live in the last 16 at 1994 1998 Oh two, oh six, ten, fourteen, eighteen, and it doesn't look like now that twenty twenty two is there. You know they've they've been talking about this fifth game curse that they can't get to the fifth game quarterfinal. <laughs> they're they're not even going to get into a fourth game this time. And because Saudi Arabia, in fairness, looked really good in this World Cup, they did. I mean, the one thing that was probably missing from their performance against Poland was was just being a bit more clinical in the final third. The the two real chances that they carved out against Argentina, they took, and maybe that was a bit of a you know, an off chance that that's going to happen. And maybe that was kind of their sweet spot and that was their moment. And we're not going to see that sort of clinical edge that they showed in that game in the, in this Mexico game. I, I would, I would doubt Saudi Arabia are going to hit those levels again. I, I'm not sure they, they have it in the tank. Listen, they could have got something against Poland had they put the penalty away and, and it could have been all, all different kind of a, a proposition or game the way they had played out. But I'm not sure they're going to catch Mexico on the hop like they like they did Argentina. I think that surprise factor is maybe is is gone, and I'm sure teams are looking at them and, and maybe finding ways that they that they can get about them and cause them issues. But they're in a fantastic position tomorrow. I mean, going out, Mexico have been okay. They they've not been fantastic. They were okay against Poland, and for the first half against Argentina, they were okay. But if Saudi Arabia were, were to go out there and, and win tomorrow, I mean, what a fantastic position that, that could put them in. If Poland and Argentina were to draw, that would put them through top of the group, which nobody would have seen coming. And if they were to win and Argentina were to win, they'd, they'd go through second. So it's a, it's a massive occasion. It might be one that gets maybe, you know, in, into the minds of the players and, and maybe you might see a bit of fear starting to to creep in it's much easier to play when you're, you're the underdog and there's nothing expected of you as the expectations build for Saudi Arabia I'm sure you might see a bit of nervousness within within their play I just hope that there's <laughs> I hope there's no T's and C's in those Rolls Royces that they got that they don't need to qualify out of the field <laughs> I could really I could really see Mexico beating Saudi Arabia, but not by enough goals. And I, I, I could see Poland losing to Argentina and going through. I, I, I think this will be a very unromantic final set of group games here. I, I think the Cinderella story for Saudi Arabia will end. Mexico will get the win they need, but won't get the uh, their purgatory of the last 16. They're like the Irish rugby team in World Cup quarterfinals, aren't they? They're, just, they're stuck in last 16s. But yeah, no, for me, I think Poland will lose and still go through and Argentina will top the group. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that group tomorrow, Raph, you, you'll probably see a change four or five times over the course of 90 minutes just because it's so close. Yeah, Mexico's problem is they can't score goals and they can't get to a quarterfinal unless they happen to be hosting the tournament. So I think for the Irish rugby team, Mikey, <laughs> I think we know the answer there. Bring the, tor- bring the tournament here. Uh, yeah. l- let's get some stadiums and stuff sorted as well. And maybe we might get to that uh, fabled yeah. semi-final. But uh, yeah, in regards to Saudi Arabia, now you, you mentioned 2014, Mikey, but I think that group, if it does end up with Saudi Arabia going top, Shades of England's group in 2014, where uh, Costa Rica topped a group that also had Italy, England, and Uruguay in it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Costa Rica were great at that World Cup. Unfortunately for Costa Rica, this World Cup it's pretty much the same team, so they're <laughs> they're kind of the 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 years are beginning to show on them. But Jesus, they were great value of that World Cup. There were a couple of uh, they had a great Iran, penalty shootout. Iran are calling for a penalty here. 
and it's, oh. it's not given there was a very close chance to come oh, that's in. not the second cousin of a penalty is it <laughs> oh no if i'm looking at the same instant you are with the, the keeper and the player come together no the, the, refer- the referee is has stopped the game and he's he's going to check on or at least he's he's going to get the bar officials to oh yeah i oh, know the iranians giving it all that yeah but that, that, that oh. wasn't it didn't look like much here oh wait we're getting a replay not much contact center forward has gone down very yeah, easy. it's a ball knocked headed on from the 18 yard line. The goalkeeper comes out to claim it, and the striker gets a foot on it just ahead of him. If anything, it's a foul by the striker. Mm. Uh, he kind of goes in two footed on the keeper, and they both kind of miss the ball, goes through the keeper's legs, and is cleared by the Americans. I can't, like, the Iranian is off his feet when the keeper yeah, makes contact well, with him, yeah. so I don't know how he could give that as a penalty. Yeah, Tur- Turner's kind of lucky actually that uh, he isn't caught by those two feet. Actually, when you look at a uh, look at the replay, that he, his foot isn't planted; it's sorted out of the way. Oh yeah, no, it, it was it was your Taremi's completely out of control when he goes for the ball. Um, no, Malison is he's just he's horizontal when he goes for the ball. But they're desperate now because they're into the ninth minute of injury time, so they're just yeah, the refs waving on the play, and the Iranians yeah. look aghast. I don't know if that's going to stop Carlos Cuero's complaining about it. He's already had a go at Jurgen Klinsmann this week <laughs> as well over uh, comments that were made on, yeah, the, on the I, BBC. I think Carlos is beginning to feel the pressure a little bit of like uh, of, of a lot of things, probably a lot of them aren't to do with football, I think. But uh, I, I think his World Cup's about to be over. Oh, the US counter oh, that was weak. Yeah, no, I think this is should be over. Paul, Paul will tell us when it's over. He's a little bit ahead of us, I think. <laughs> yeah, but Paul, just uh, because we're coming to the end of that game now, in regards to England, anyway in Wales uh, as, as we saw 1-3-0 a decent uh, if, if the first half was diabolical maybe the second half was a little bit more angelic uh, your assessment <laughs> of uh, the English overall in that game yeah I mean they, they've done enough in that game and they've done enough over the course of the group the United States have won 1-0 that game is now over so. yeah everybody falls on the ground yeah, yeah I mean it, it wasn't the most difficult of groups was it when you when you look at what Wales have had to offer. I, I was expecting a hell of a lot more, and and even in that game today, you know they they were very poor. They offered very little, and over the over the course of kind of the three games, we've really seen that Welsh team and and the age and how leggy they looked in their performance, and that was very much evident today. For England, I think Gareth Southgate was absolutely delighted. He prides himself on clean sheets. He prides himself on being difficult to beat, and. I think he believes that they've enough within the likes of Harry Kane, Foden, uh, Saka, that they can go and win games and kind of progress deep into competitions. They're dangerous from set pieces as well. So today was was very much about getting back to winning ways. They haven't won a huge amount of games coming into this competition. So it was important they won. They won well. They won convincingly. Have I seen enough to, to suggest that they can mix it with kind of the big teams? I'm not so sure. Like if, you go back towards the competitions that they've they've done well in the Euros and the World Cup. They've not played a France, a Spain, a Brazil to kind of get get to that stage. And that's the question mark I have is is when they come up against those top teams, do they have enough? And at the basis of the group stage, you would probably say not, but could be wrong, Raf. I mean, that draw isn't too bad. Senegal's probably uh, one of the more favorable around the sixteen games. I would expect them to get to the quarter final. And uh, anything, anything can happen from there. Yeah, as we saw, I think in the last World Cup, I think Colombia looked like a decent team for England to get, and <laughs> they almost messed that up. Uh, although it did end up with them winning the first penalty shootout in uh, 
whatever it was uh, since the since Euro '96 when they beat Spain in the in the quarterfinals there. But yeah, England against Senegal, which will be seven o'clock on Sunday at the Albite Stadium. The day before that, the Dutch are playing the United States at three o'clock at Khalifa International Stadium. So we know what we're looking forward to, at least in uh, one set of last sixteen games. As we said uh, for tomorrow, though, of course, Tunisia against France and Australia against Denmark, both at three o'clock, and then Poland against Argentina and Saudi Arabia against Mexico, both at seven. All of the RT player. I think, Mikey, you were about to say something there. I'm just wondering if we are, are we going to get the kind of the perfect scenario from a World Cup here? That you want your shocks, you want your Saudi Arabia, you know, you want those kind of those stories, those matches that kind of make everybody stand up and take notice. Japan beating Germany, but at the end of the day, you want like the eight strongest teams in the quarterfinals and four strong. You can have a couple. You're going to have a couple of last sixteen mismatches, obviously, but come the quarterfinals, like. We we all think Saudi Arabia and Japan is a nice story, but do we do we really want to see them in a quarterfinal? If you're Japanese, you do, or if you're Saudi Arabian, you do. But so I just wonder, are we going to get? Is this going to work out nicely? We've had a few shocks, but from those, though, you'd have to say that they are they're decent last sixteen games with the first time, you know, the first couple. So just kind of hoping the bracket fills out nicely and we don't get too many blowouts in the in the in the knockout stages because that kind of you know we're, we're we're down to a diet now we're on four games a day you know we're, in three days time we're going to be down to two games a day you can't you know they can't be duds we, yeah. we, didn't, know how, we didn't know how good we had it <laughs> you never do every four years it catches you and you're like oh what do you mean there's no 10 a.m game this sucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know a few people who really hated the 2002 World Cup just for the reasons you said in terms of once it got to the quarterfinals were teams that by no rights, according to some people, should not have been there. Although, again, in terms of big teams that were missing out, that was the World Cup that Ireland probably could have got to the final, as has been said uh, <laughs> many a time over the years, if we just got, got past Spain, who knows. But anyway, I think that brings us to a close anyway. So, Paul Corey, thanks a million for taking the time and Mikey Stafford. Uh, we're not on a diet of four games a day tomorrow. So two games all on the R- well, four games, yes, but uh, two different time slots all on the RT player and then between RT2 and the RT News Channel. But uh, that's it for today. Mikey, you'll be on the podcast tomorrow while I take a possibly well-earned rest. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Bill, for joining me. Oh,